At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Well, good morning, Woodside. How are you today? Good. It's great to see you all. My name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here at Woodside of Lake Orion, and uh, it's going to be a great morning together, or afternoon, excuse me, together. It's 11 o'clock. I do that all the time. Hopefully, in this room, if you're a Michigan fan, you've been praying for your Michigan State brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? And hopefully, if you're a Michigan State fan in this room, You've been praying for your Michigan, brothers and sisters in Christ, because they're getting ready to take their weapon next week. So pray for their hearts and their souls as we all come together and pray for the souls of Ohio State fans, as I say, every week. And I think it'll be interesting this next weekend to see what God and his sovereignty does. <laughs> it'll be fantastic. We'll be in Romans chapter 8 today, if you want to turn there. Verse 26 through 30. As you already heard Taryn reading uh, this morning as we were worshiping, and I want to read that in just a second, but I was thinking about this morning and one of the, today our time together, and one of the uh, beautiful things I was able to do this summer as I was off for about two months on sabbatical, one of the, the greatest things that we were able to do as a family was to take uh, some time to go out west. And so we took uh, about a month, and uh, it was planned a month, cut it short a little bit. Uh, we took a month and just went all over the country to many different national parks and spent uh, almost a month in a Jeep Wrangler together and tent. It was fantastic, and many people look at me kind of like cross-eyed when I say that, uh, but it was unbelievable, and some of the most uh, beautiful memories me and my family had, and honestly, we longed to do it again soon. Uh, more than we thought we would. It was just amazing and beautiful. And we got to do some uh, amazing things together and a lot of different hikes. And my family loves the outdoors, and we loved spending time in the outdoors together. And so we did some awesome hikes all over the country, from Glacier National Park to uh, down to Utah, out Wyoming, and South Dakota. And so I remember at the very beginning of our trip, we were in South Dakota. It was early on, and we were very ambitious in what we were going to do with hikes. And I'm always ambitious, even though we have small not real small children, but children that complain still. Um, I'm at the season, I don't know if they ever stop, but pray, we'll, we'll hope for that. But it was fantastic. And we were uh, at Custer State Park. If you've never been there, you need to go there. It's beautiful. We're in the area of where um, Mount Rushmore is at. And we were there, and uh, we spent a day. We drove over uh, from the Badlands one day just to go over and explore Custer State Park. And so me, the way I think about it is like, man, we have to do the best hikes, even though if they're maybe a little crazy. And so one of the ones I wanted to go on is, is the highest point in South Dakota. And so I thought, what better place to take three children is that. And so it was a seven-mile round, just somewhere around seven miles. And uh, that sounds like, ah, that's not a big deal until you're like, okay, it's uphill, switchbacks, kind of rock formations. It's fantastic. So uh, we sat down. I'm like, it's not going to be a big deal. It'll be awesome. Here's a picture. I think I have a picture of uh, where we were. You get to this place, this peak. It's beautiful and stunning. Literally, you could see across all of South Dakota. Unbelievable. Flew my drone up there, and it was just, 
you know, just a spectacular place to see God's creation in South Dakota. And it's awesome. And towards the, the tail end of the hike up there, um, the kids begin to complain. Or we all began to complain a little bit. And literally, your feet were starting to hurt, and it was overwhelming. It was hot, so it didn't make it better. It was really hot, so like 80 or 90 degrees. And, and we're hiking up as we go up the hike. It is great. Towards the end, I kept encouraging them. Once we got to the top, it was going to be unbelievable, like you saw as it was. And we spent some time up there. We ate lunch up there. It was great. And then when you do these fun things, right, you think like, is there any way you can get a helicopter to take me back down? Because that would be unbelievable. While you put all of the work and it was awesome to get to the top, after you've seen it, there's nothing really to see at the bottom. You know you have to make your way back down. And the kids were already dreading. They're kind of like just complaining a little bit. And rightfully so, I was. Our feet were hurting. It was hot. It was kind of miserable a little bit. And so as we were going back down, there was a lot of complaining. I mean, we were overwhelmed with what we still had to do. And I was myself. And along the way, there are all kinds of different, like, kind of logs you can sit on and benches, these darn benches they put in, where you can sit down. And every one we came to, the kids wanted to sit down and take, could we take a little rest, which turns into a long rest, which turns into, I am never getting off this mountain. But I knew if I could just get them to the bottom, at the bottom there's this beautiful lake. My oldest, or my kids and I, we did, we did cliff jumping off of. It's beautiful. It's refreshing. It's wonderful. There's a beach there. I knew if I could get them down and keep from, from sitting down and giving up, I could get them to the bottom where they would enjoy and love life to the fullest. And that's exactly what I want for you today. It's exactly what I think the heart of God wants for you today. Is to not sit down, give up, settle in, say, Lord, I don't, I can't do this. But God wants to take you to a place, an ultimate ending where you can see and experience his goodness, be refreshed, and enjoy him. And I think that's exactly what he's calling us to here in Romans 8. As we see today, God in all that he is has done all that we need to see us all the way home. And that's what I want you to remember today, that God has done everything that is needed to get us all the way home because of who he is. And we've been tracking through this chapter of Romans, Romans 8, and the series is called Unstoppable, that we're bound in his love and freed by his spirit as we've been looking at the Holy Spirit and the trajectory that the Holy Spirit puts us on in Romans chapter 8 and the, the power that is there as we walk with the spirit of God. And today in, excuse me, in this section, Paul brings out all of the big guns kind of the full reality of who God is and who we can be and what he can do to bring his children or what he's doing to bring his children ultimately home. And so uh, I just want you to see three realities today in God bringing us, participating with us to bring us home. 
to glorification with him and give you some hope. I want you to leave here encouraged today. I want you to leave full of joy and hope. And even at the end, as we sing an old hymn, as you stand and we sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, that it would come from a heart of, 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 of expectation, of, of beauty, of encouragement and joy. Because of Jesus, we have an unbelievable blessed assurance in him that he's bringing us home. So if you would look with me in Romans 8, verse 26 and 7, I just want to look at that quickly. You see, the first thing uh, here in this text, look with me, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray or pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And the first thing we see is our prayers are strengthened by the Spirit. And we see this in our text, that there's this beautiful thing that happens with the Holy Spirit, that He meets us in our prayers. How many people know that the Spirit of God meets us in our prayers when we pray, right? Absolutely. He meets us, but more than meeting us, he, he participates in our prayers. But maybe even more than participating, we see here in our text that, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers. Man, I can't emphasize this enough, what the good news about this is, that the Spirit of God actually helps you in your prayer life. I can tell you, I need a little bit of help in my prayer life, and I'll get to there in a second. But Paul is been talking through Romans chapter 8 about kind of the suffering through experience and how it should be contrasted, and it's overwhelmingly not as good as the future glory we'll experience in heaven for all of time when we're fully adopted and our bodies are made perfect and new. There's this contract that he's been, been sharing, but there's a reality, and the reality is that there's a problem that in the here and now, right now, things are kind of tough. We walk through overwhelming circumstances. There's seasons in life that undo us to the point where we can have trouble even knowing how to pray before the Lord. Anyone else been there? You ever been there to where you're like, God, I don't, I don't really know what to say to you. Maybe it's because of at your own hands you're in the predicament you're in because of your own sin and brokenness, and you're just like, God, I don't know what to say. I have no words. Or maybe you're in a season outside of yourself because of some other circumstances that you are now in, and you're like, God, there is such a groaning in my spirit. I, I don't know what to share with you. I don't know what to say to you, Lord. Or maybe you just struggle to pray in general. You've always wondered how. I don't know if I'm doing it right. And Paul says that the Spirit of God meets us there. He works with us and in us. So how does he do it, right? If you look, it says that the Spirit who helps us in our weakness. Anybody weak out here? All right, hopefully everybody's hand or head nod. If we've got any non-weak people, this isn't the time to be macho. We're all weak. And what's beautiful is when you read the Scriptures is that in our weakness, that is where God meets us. That in our weakness is where God meets us. Not just here, but often throughout Scripture, that in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our humility, in our inability to do it in our own self, that is where the Spirit of God is released to work in our lives. And it's the same here. That our sufferings can bring us to the point where we kind of throw up our hands 
to the point where, like, we don't even know what to pray anymore. As it says in our text, we do not know what to pray as we ought. This is where the Spirit of God flourishes and works, that he meets us there. And he says that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, there's a number of different interpretations of that. But I think what the Apostle Paul is saying, if you read the text in verse 27, he says, because the Spirit intercedes for us, for the saints, according to the will of God. Of God. What I believe he's saying is that the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and he perfectly aims them, maybe even beyond our comprehension, to the will and purposes of God. This is what one writer says. I take it that Paul is saying then that our failure to know God's will and consequent inability to petition God specifically and assuredly is met by God's Spirit who himself expresses to God as our intercessory petitions that perfectly match the will of God. When we do not know what to pray for, yes, even when we pray for things that are not best for us, hello, anybody been there? We need not despair, for we can depend on the Spirit's ministry of perfect intercession on our behalf. That this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And it says that the Father, described here as the, the one who searches hearts, he knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows your weakness. He knows your godly desires for him. And in all of that, can I tell you what's amazing is, he will never turn his back on you. He never looks away. He loves. Can I tell you, God the Father loves your weak, babbling prayers. He loves your weak, babbling prayers. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to have the right sentence structure to pray. That's great for me, because I stink at grammar. You don't have to have all the biggest words in the world. No, the Spirit takes your weak and ignorant prayers, and He prays them in re-aiming and redirecting your prayers to the right center of God's will. So He takes my prayers and your prayers that sometimes miss the mark, maybe by even wrong intentions, and He puts them at the bullseye of the will of God. That is amazing and profound. I think it's profound in a number of different ways. I think many times, I don't know about you, there's lots of different people in life that they get to a place, maybe at their own hand, and they're broken, like, Lord, I've done too much, I've gone too far, you don't know who I am in my heart, and none of these people would as well, so we take the sidelines, and we stop praying, because God doesn't want to hear from me. Can I tell you that even in your brokenness today, even in your too far, too gone brokenness today, the Holy Spirit takes what mutters from your mouth and takes it to the Lord on your behalf. Additionally, in your brokenness, I know there's people that I'm looking out today, I see your face, that I know that you're walking in profound brokenness, and maybe you're in a season, you're like, God, I don't even know what to say to you anymore. I've asked, how many times, how many times have I asked, Lord, for the redemption of my child? I don't know what to say anymore, God. And the Spirit of God prays on your behalf. I know a lot of Christians that tell me that they don't pray often because they don't know how to pray. You know what's beautiful about this? You don't have to know how. You know how to talk? I learned a long time ago that prayer, anybody been there? I, I grew up where 
there's this vicious thing called popcorn prayer in youth group. Or the praying circle, and you, you knew it was coming around to your turn. And you had like three people to figure out what you're going to say before you got there. So you start doing it in your mind, and you're like, okay, how am I going to slip in propitiation here? And, um, you know, how am I going to use a couple big words or whatever it may be? And I got to map it all out because, man, people, <laughs> they're going to hear me talk to God. Like, this is a big deal. And so, so many of my prayers, I don't even know if they went through the roof. Thank God the Holy Spirit was taking them and forcing them through the roof because my heart was not in the right place because I didn't know how to do it. You might notice on Sunday mornings, oftentimes when I pray from the platform, I pray with my eyes open. I do that for a reason, because that's the best way that I can be the most authentic before God. When I pray at home, my eyes are wide open, because it's distracting for me to close my eyes. And I want to look at every one of your faces, and I want to talk to God like I would talk to any person that I know. And with the most authenticity I can declare to the Lord the way I feel at that moment, it's grounded in Scripture and allow the Spirit of God to speak. And I never see it in the Bible, I'm one of those guys, where it says I have to close my eyes, so I don't close my eyes. <laughs> and you can if you need to. There's a beautiful truth here that we don't have to. Even in our fallible, feeble prayers, there's something that's amazing. Even if we stink at prayer, if we think stink we find it difficult to pray in all of this. We know that what God said is amazing, that God in all of this does all that we need to get us home, including getting our prayers right at the center of the will of God. Do you know today, believer, that the Spirit of God prays for you? It's pretty profound. It's confidence in my own prayer that we can, we can pray and not have to do it eloquently like Matthew 5 says where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that we don't have to have big words, that the duration of prayer is not in what's important. We're not going to pray such amazing prayers that we're going to actually get God's attention. God already has, you already have God's attention as a follower of Jesus. And even in my worst days when I don't know what to say, if I can't even pray because I am so broken that my own sin or what's happening in my my life. I can go before the Lord, and your prayers and my prayers are redirected, strengthened, and empowered by the Spirit of God. Pretty amazing. So pray. Ask. Seek the Lord. Don't sit down. Give up. Give in to being overwhelmed by your circumstances, maybe your brokenness, or even your unknowing how to engage with the Spirit of God. Keep going, because God has given you all things, as we're going to see in a moment, and He's using all things to take you to the ultimate place of refreshment in Him and with Him. That's why He goes on and says, He kind of goes on sharing this in verse 28. And we know this should be a known factor for the people of Romans and for you, that for those, you already know this passage, it's been quoted, it's on t-shirts, it's on mugs, it's life verses, but I don't know if we totally know it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Second thing we see is that our circumstances are synergized for our good or they're repurposed or they're 
they're used in a correct way for our good. So Paul here is identifying deep and profound truth as he calls the the Roman uh, believers to remember the good news of who God is and what he has promised. Now, there's a main clause within this verse, in verse 28, and it's this. It's in the middle. All things work together for good. We'll get to the other sections in a moment. So Paul doesn't have here in mind some abstract, interpersonal face out there somewhere in the stratosphere that's making all things work together for good. No, he has a very significant person, the subject of the sentence, which is God. He is the one who's causing everything in your life and in my life and in every believer's life to work together for good. It is his providence and his skillful wisdom to bring evil and destruction and painful things into an ultimate landing place of good. That's what he's saying. Now, I'm looking at hundreds of people, and I don't know if you all believe it yet, that what God is doing in your life or has done in the past in your life or allowed to happen in your past life for good. But I hope you get there. So, what does God work with? What can he make good? What's amazing, when you look at the Greek of all things, I've said this before, what do you think it means? All things. Everything. Nothing is outside of it. All things. Truly all things. All of your circumstances and the events that shape your life. All things. So I just want to say, the situation that you're in right now, maybe because of your own doing or whatever outside of your doing, God's working it out for your good. Do you believe that? The, the relationship that you maybe is, is broken right now or hindered by something, can I tell you, God is working for your good in that situation and for his glory in the future. The child that you've been struggling with at home and maybe just overwhelming because it, she's, she or he is just not fitting the mold and not listening to your instruction and you worry about them. Or the child that's walked away from Jesus and you pray for them every single day because you want to see them come back to the, to the, to the church. Can I tell you, do you believe that that situation is working for your good and God's glory? And you can go down the list, the suffering that you're experiencing right now, the sickness that has been allowed to be in your body or your friends or your loved ones or your wife or your husband. The final result of your circumstances and my circumstances is in the hands of God, and they will be for the ultimate good. But who is this for? Who benefits from this working of God to bring all things to good? He says, for those who love God, and at the end of the, the verse, he says, those who are called according to his purpose. So Paul is talking about the two different sides of the same coin, that those who are called according to his purpose are those who love God. So he's saying this, all those who trusted in Jesus alone as their Savior have been called by God and they love God. So if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Savior, you've been called, and you love the Lord, while you may struggle in life, you love the Lord, he's saying this is the reality of your life. And he's trying to encourage the Christians, and I want to encourage you today, even at your worst circumstances, your darkest days, God is doing everything, working all things for your ultimate good. 
even if your circumstances seem bleak. God has not abandoned you, can I tell you? God sees you. He knows your heart, as it said in the passage. He loves you. And sometimes it's hard for us to believe in the moment, in the situation, in the place that we're standing, that God in the future somehow is going to make this good how? Well, I think one of the greatest stories of this picture in the, in the, God, in the entire Bible is the story of Joseph. If you want to read it, go back Genesis chapter 37 through 50. You can read it for yourself. The story of Joseph is, Joseph is profound. And profound for this reason, Joseph had a pretty good start to his life. He had some great promises declared over his life. He was going to be the greatest, right? Amongst his brother, he had this really cool coat as well of many colors. If you have a cool coat, then you're good. And so, man, there's, there's lots of things that are beneficial, that are great for his life, and it looks great in the future. It's been declared to him by God, this is what's going to happen. But well, wouldn't you know it, his brothers think, think otherwise, and they want to murder him. And he gets thrown into a pit instead and sold into slavery. Can you imagine what's going through his mind? I'm not sure, God. I'm believing you. You said good is coming, but I'm in a pit. God, you said good was coming. I'm sold as a slave. Okay, I get to become Potiphar's servant. Now I'm lied against. Now I'm thrown back into prison. People forgot about me. The cupbearer, the baker, they didn't remember me. What in the world, God? I don't see the good. And you read the rest of the story. Joseph becomes maybe the second most powerful person in the known world. He's been given the gift of interpreting dreams. He interprets there's going to be seven years of good and then seven years of famine. And because of that, he's able to save all of Israel, his own people. Long story short, his own brothers who sold him into slavery end up at his feet, bowing down. Isn't God a God who turns the tables? It's fascinating what you read at the end of the story. What does he say? As for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it. What? That evil for good. So on the same side, or excuse me, different sides of the same coin, Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. He was forgotten about. He was lied about. He was sold into slavery. All these different things. And at the same side, on the other side of the coin, God says, I meant that for good. I can't fully understand that, but that is what's in the scriptures. So much so that Joseph says, you didn't send me here, brothers. God sent me here that I could save all of Israel. this is good news for us. When you're weighed down, suffering, wondering if there's a purpose and meaning and what God's allowing to walk through, you to walk through, looking at the past of your life and your brokenness and choices you've made, the pain of the moment causes us to feel like it's not true, but God reminds us of the reality of the truth that God is working together all things, past, present, future, for your good and his glory. I think one uh, amazing quote by a guy named Michael Bird says this, an important pastoral note is that it does not always look or feel that way. It is often hard to discern God's goodness in the midst of a throbbing pain or grief or in the uncertainty of an oncology ward. However, at the end of, this, uh, at the end of history, in light of 
a glorious eternity, the goodness of God's purposes will fully be understood. What Paul tells the Romans is not that we will live in the best possible world, but we are going to be prepared for the best possible world in the best possible way. This gives me great confidence with God that he will see me through. So believer today, can I tell you, like, don't, don't sit down. You might be like, yeah, the, the hike up of my life was great. Can I tell you? The hike down's been real rough. And many times we just want to sit and I'll just sit and wait for Jesus to come back because I can't believe that he's working any of this out for good. And we can get mad at God, we can be broken, but you know what? God in his goodness is leading us all the way home, down the mountain, and he's calling us not to sit, and actually with grace-filled goodness calling us to walk in obedience. Don't sit down. Because your future is secured for glory, and God is working all things for good. That's the last thing we see. Our future is secured for glory. Now this section, I'm just going to do a moment of teaching because this is a teachable passage of Scripture. It says in verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Our future is secured in glory. The conjunction for here links us to the verses before. So he's building off the statement of verse 28 that all things work together, and he's going to show how God accomplishes that for our ultimate good. And these five verbs declare what God's actions are to secure our future. Each of them is logical. They're not haphazard. They're not just thrown in there by the Apostle Paul. They're, they're, they're all there declaring what God has done. So it's, it's helpful maybe to stop, if you think of them in a chain, there's five links. We started in the middle. There's foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. These five verbs, if you start with the middle one, called in verse 29 and verse 28, he mentions called. But before that, in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul speaks of it, and the point he's making is that we're saved by faith. And he's talking about Abraham. He reasoned there that Abraham was justified by God through faith alone, that Abraham believed God, and he believed God, that God is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that did not exist. So the point would be that God speaks and brings life. And just like God calls into existence things that don't exist, God's powerful call brings life to those who are spiritually dead. That's what we've experienced in the call of God. And the point is that anyone who believes in Jesus has been called. So if you're here today, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you've been called by God. That's what we see, right? But the result of our calling, we see in Romans 4 and here in 8, is justification. We've heard before, justification is just as if we've never sinned. But it's more than that. It's also that we've gotten the redemption or we've gotten the righteousness of God. So we've been declared right and right standing legally before God. Now, hang with me for one second. Now, dealt with the after the calling, if you go before that, 
If those are who have been called are justified, then the prior actions of God, the verbs before, are true as well, that we've been foreknown and predestined. Let's start with foreknown. Foreknown and predestined are very close in their meaning with each other. I will say this, that to foreknow is not to know what someone will do and then choose based on knowing what a person will do. The meaning of foreknew or foreknown here in the text is rooted in the covenantal love of God that he bestows on his people. You go back to the Old Testament, it's rooted in the Old Testament where, where, where the word to know, yada, is there, and it refers to his covenantal love in which he sets his affections on those he has chosen. So we see here that God set his affections on us for knowing them and predestining them glorious purpose. The purpose in verse 29 is spoken that they would be conformed to the image of his son. So Paul's point here is this, that everyone who has been foreknown has been predestined to be like Jesus. Those who have been foreknown have been predestined to behave and become like Jesus. So I want to tell you that if you're here today People get all bent out of shape sometimes in these passages because we focus on things that we maybe shouldn't. If you're here today, you've been called, and if you've been called, you have been foreknown and predestined to justification and the glorification in the future of what God has for you. That you will be glorified. This is the hope. The hope is so he's writing to believers to let them know you've been called and you've been justified. You're in right standing before God. And I want to encourage you, every light and momentary affliction that you're experiencing right now, God is good enough. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who redeemed you. And he's good enough. He's strong enough to take you ultimately to the end to be glorified standing in his presence. Glorification is this work that God making us completely sinless and perfect. What we look forward to, standing, that he will take us home if you want, if he'll take us down the mountain so we can enjoy him by the lake forever. Where there'll be no more sin or weakness or frailty or brokenness. There's a powerful reality. And I want you to know that this is not something that we did, this is something God did. The, the subject of these verbs is God. He did this. God foreknows. God predestines. God calls. God justifies. God glorifies. God does all the work to bring all of his children home. If you're a child today, as you walk through life, he's meeting you as the Spirit intercedes with you. He's making all things good for you in your future and his glory. And he's, he's strong enough. He's good enough to bring you across the finish line, and our minds need to wrap around some of these truths, maybe be renewed by these truths as we look at them, that salvation is not a matter of how good I am. Can I tell you, if you're here today and you've been working your whole life, salvation's not how, you didn't see any of that in the text today. There's nothing about being good enough or how clean I can make myself to make myself right before God. No, my salvation does not rest on how good I am as a Christian. It didn't rest on me at all rested completely on the Lord. So if it rests on the Lord, I can't lose it either because he's the one who did it. It's with him, right? And we have to reject this idea that salvation is something that God made possible through the cross. Can I tell you, God didn't make it possible. He actually did it. 
He actually redeemed us. He completely saved us. Can I tell you, as a follower of Jesus today, called one, can you, you can rest and rejoice and worship because God has secured your future glory. And in the meantime, he's, he's meeting you in your prayers as you walk through hardship or brokenness. And he's working every circumstance, good, bad, and ugly, for your goodness when he brings you to your ultimate end. And can I compel you one last time, don't sit down. Don't sit down and be like, you know what Jim said? My future is secure, so I'm just going to sit on my hands and wait for God to come back because maybe there's a laundry list of reasons you have or maybe one of them's laziness. I don't know. But I'm just going to sit and wait because one day Jim said God's going to take me to ultimate glorification. Now God has so much more for you. It's a journey to take you on down the mountain and honestly, probably lots of complaining from you, like my children and me. But God wants to walk with us, encouraging us, don't give up, don't sit down, don't stay there. No, he employs us with grace-driven effort, as he says through the Apostle Paul in Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen to this, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's doing something in you. I'll say that again. God is doing something in you, and he is faithful to bring it to completion. And he is meeting you along the way in your prayer life, in your circumstances. He knows you, he sees your heart, and he doesn't want you to sit. He wants you to engage how troublesome it may be to bring you home to ultimate completion in him. Man, today if you're outside Christ, maybe you're visiting or you, you've been here for a while, it doesn't matter to me. You can come into security and assurance with God. Put all of your hope and your confidence in him and let him do everything to bring you home as you work alongside of him. And anyone can get in on this. Anyone can believe the good news of the gospel. I'll tell you, though, that God has much to do in my life and in your life. But what he doesn't have for us is sitting down. Sitting down, forgetting that God is with us, working in us, and working to bring all of the things in you to goodness. Man, I, play, I, play, I just want you to leave today encouraged. Man, whether you find yourself in the far... I hate to say right or left because that's not what I mean. You find yourself on one end of the perspective and you are just broken because of maybe sin in your own life or circumstances God has allowed you to walk in. Maybe even in this moment as we stand and sing, you may not be able to sing blessed assurance, but the Spirit of God can sing on your behalf. Or... Maybe you're over here and you seemingly do good. Can I tell you, may you leave encouraged, both, no matter, knowing that no matter what's in your life, God is working for your good and his glory. It may not be easy to see now, but he is good that he's bringing you, he's secured glory for and he's taking you all the way home. And it's a journey and it's a path. And oftentimes the second half stinks or it's harder or there's seasons of up and down. 
But God is good. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And he longs to be with you, not have you sit on the sidelines. So would you stand with me? We're going to sing in just a moment. Blessed assurance. And I pray that it's this, the heart, this your heart as we declare and sing that we have an assurance who has secured glory for us. His name is Jesus. And in the meantime, he has much to do in our lives as we walk the path. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for today and for this breath that we have today. As we already sung, it's for you. Thank you for um, the word of God that we have today that, man, what a, what a spiritual, beautiful truth that we have in you that says that you intercede for us. You take our prayers, and it's almost like you, you, you take them right before the throne of God. So God, I ask that you take this prayer, no matter who it is in this room, if there's someone here today that needs a, a measure of your grace that is not evident to them, that you would open their eyes, that what they're in and what they're experiencing, what they're walking through is for their good and your glory. And sometimes those things aren't easy. Help us to remember that no matter where we're going, no matter what we're walking in, you have an ultimate home for us, like the picture of me hiking down a mountain to a place of ultimate rest beauty, relaxation, enjoyment, goodness before you for all of time. And in the middle, God, you have much to do with us. Forgive me and forgive us for often sitting down and complaining. But I know, God, you see us in our brokenness in our hearts, and you know and love us exactly where we are. Do that today. Maybe today, for the first time, someone can declare blessed assurance. Thank Jesus. you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.